on the second and final week of our series called I Love My Church. And uh, next week is Mother's Day, and so we've got a huge service planned for next Sunday. Invite all the moms you know, even moms you don't know. Invite everybody because we've got giveaways. We've got a great speaker. It's going to be an awesome Sunday morning. And so make plans to be here. You're going to get flyers on the way out the door to give to people this morning. Uh, but it's going to be a great day. Um, and so we're continuing uh, I Love My Church that we started last week. And uh, so if you missed last week's message, you can go check it out on iTunes, on our Fam Church app, on our Facebook page. The message is out there. But uh, I'll give you some highlights this morning. Uh, we started off last week by talking about who the church is. Who is the church was the, questions, the question that we asked. And, and we asked ourselves, is the church referring to everybody who believes in Jesus or whoever has believed in Jesus throughout the history of the world, like starting from the beginning all the way till now, all believers of all time, is that what makes up the church? Or is there something more to the church than just everybody who believes in Jesus? And to figure that out, we went exploring in the New Testament and we looked at this word for the church uh, that's used in the Bible uh, in the Greek and it's the word ekklesia. And what we saw of that word was that of the times that it was used, it was used 114 times. Of the fourteen times it was used, 90 of those times referred to a specific body of believers. It was only, what, uh, 24 times? No, yeah, 24 times that it referenced the church worldwide, everybody who's ever believed in Jesus. And so, and so the implication of that was clear, is that God wasn't calling us, Jesus isn't calling us just to belong to the body of Jesus, this worldwide church of everyone who believes in him, but he's actually calling us to belong to to be part of a local body of believers. And some would hear that, and we know that they would put some pressure back on us when they hear that, right? They would say, well, wait a minute. I, I don't want to be a part of a local church because the church has issues. And what we saw was the church or the, the New Testament doesn't allow us to think along those lines. And, and we should be really asking ourselves a deeper question. We should be saying to ourselves, wait a minute, I'm a believer in Jesus. What local church do I belong to? Because if I'm, I'm not a part of a local church, I'm missing out on part of my spiritual walk. And, and, and so, but we haven't answered the, the question of, uh, of problems in the church. And what do we do? There's, there's churches that have problems. There's issues. And, and the deal is that the church is made up of people, and people have problems, so wherever you go, in whatever church you are going to be a part of, there's going to be problems, there's going to be issues, there's going to be complications, there's going to be stuff going on. And so how we looked at that was, we said, all right, so, so let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and look at a couple of pictures that the New Testament paints of the church. First, we saw that the church is compared to a person's spouse, specifically Jesus' spouse, and then it's compared to our body. And so if you don't like the church, what you are saying, first of all, is that you don't like Jesus' bride. You love Jesus, you just hate his wife. And of course, we, we saw that uh, anytime you love somebody but hate their wife or hate their husband, uh, the relationship usually doesn't work out that well. And uh, secondly, if you say you don't like the church, you're actually ultimately saying you don't like yourself either because if you are a believer in Jesus, you make up the body of Christ. 
See, the church is part of Jesus, and so saying that we do not like the church, the local body of believers, we are default saying that we don't like Jesus, we don't like his family, we don't like any of that stuff. And we, we, we said, look, the local church is never going to be perfect. This is never going to be a perfect place full of perfect people. But we, we as a church are called to be a family like the bride and the bridegroom. We are called to be a family of men, women, youth, and children who belong together, who have died to themselves and are living in Christ. Basically, or biblically, I'm sorry, a church does not consist of people who simply park and participate in programs. It's people who come alongside of each other, who share the life of Christ with each other on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. This was the pattern that was set by Jesus and his disciples from the beginning. And so, um, and so I'm going to go through these one-anothers once again that we talked about last week because I want you to hear them because we're going to focus on two of these this morning in exploring deeper uh, about the church. And what we saw is that, that we are called to be one-anothers to one-another, What we're called to be, we're called to be a community of people that care for one another, that love one another, receive one another, host one another, honor one another, serve one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, motivate one another, build one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, esteem one another, edify one another, teach one another, show kindness to one another, give to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, hurt with one another, and restore one another. And when you take all of these one another's and you put them together, that is a picture of the local church. It's a people who have decided to be a community together and to not care about themselves, not care about who they are, but to look at the the body of believers and say, you know what, I'm not the most important person here, but you are. And that's what makes up the church. And so we're going to move on today, and we're going to look specifically at two areas of these, of these one another's that if lived out here at FAM Church will cause those one another's to fall into place and build us into the church, the local body of believers that Jesus wants us to be. And the first one another of becoming a church like that that we're going to look at is found in the book of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. You got Matthew, you got Mark, you got Luke, then John. If you're familiar with uh, where John is at, you are welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me, but this is what it says. It says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. All right, so here's what's going on. Jesus and his disciples, they're gathered for this thing called the Last Supper. It's, it's right before Jesus is, is taken, arrested, put on trial, and ultimately crucified. And, and it's a Passover meal. And during this Passover meal, during this, this time where Jesus is speaking his last words that he wants to speak into his disciples, he speaks these very words right here, and he tells them straight up, he says, look, the way people are going to know that you follow me, the way that people People are going to know you are my disciple is if you love. 
Now, I want to explore and take a journey a little bit into this concept of love in the New Testament because in, in, in the language that the book of John was written in Greek, that their language to communicate love is a little bit more complex than the English language. You know, we've got love for, for all ideas of love. So you love French fries and you love your wife. You know, you, you love your car and you love your kids. You know, you've got this dynamic that you can't really express much in there other than to say the word love. Well, in the Greek, it's a little bit more dynamic, and there's four words that paint a picture of love. All right, the first word that's used for love is eros in the Greek, okay? And that's the erotic, sensual love. And, uh, and so that's not the word used here. Um, I, I figured you guys could probably all figure that out before me having to say it, but, but that's the first Greek word for love is eros. The second Greek word for love is storge. And this is a love that you have for, like, your dog, okay? You storge your dog. You storge your cat. You storge your pet alligator or your pet snake. Did, did anybody see on the news, uh, was it last week or the week before, somebody, somebody, a landlord went into a house that tenants had moved out of and they left, like, two three-foot alligators in pool in the middle of the room? It's like, yeah, nice. Anyway, that was their pet. They maybe storgeed that pet. All right, they're, they're alligators for a while. But, but this word storge is a love that we have for something that is close to us. And they would even use that word, would have used that word for family members. You know, you storge your family. Well, then the fourth word that they had for love is this word phileo. And phileo was a little bit deeper than storge. And phileo was a love that you would use to communicate love between family members, love between friends, love between people that you know and you are close to. It's a strong, powerful, connecting love, but the problem with phileo love is that under weight and pressure, it can ultimately collapse. And so what it's saying is it's a love that can at some point in time eventually fail if enough pressure is put on it. Well, the fourth word for love, and this is a word that I'm sure many of you who've been around the church for a while have heard, is the word agape, okay? And agape is a different kind of love. It's a love that is not kindled by the merit or worth of an object, and is a love that continues even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy, in other words, agape love is an unconditional love. And that's the word used by Jesus in this passage when he told his disciples to love one another. You see, he's calling us to love one another, to love other followers of Jesus regardless of what has happened regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether you look at them and say, they are unlovable. They are somebody I just don't care about. They are somebody. It, uh, Jesus says, look, that doesn't matter. You need to love them. And when we do that, he says, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The unfortunate thing is, in many cases, that's not how the church does things, is it? The church in some places is known for a place that you can find as much or sometimes even more hate than you can in the world. And we have all kinds of reasons why we don't like someone. We don't like them because of the cause they support, maybe the party that they vote for, the way they talk or don't talk, 
I had somebody tell me that one time, by the way. It was really weird. I was in this group, and I just wasn't saying anything. And he says, I don't like the way you don't say anything. What? Anyway, the way, the sin that they commit, and especially because of perceived wrongs against us. And you know what? This is one of the biggest issues in the church world today. We get offended really easy by someone else, by something they said or didn't say. We look for reasons to not love people. We look for reasons to say, man, I don't like them. They did this, they did that, they did this other thing. And there's a huge problem with offense, and it's this, it's born out of sin. And some of you are saying, yeah, that's right, the person who did whatever it is that they did to cause someone to get offended is sinning. No. The person who took offense is the one in sin. Why? They've done studies on people who get easily offended. And here's what they found. The easier it is to offend someone, the higher they score as a narcissist. So basically what that means is, and, and you guys, some of you guys are probably going to hate me saying this, but the more easily you are offended, it's because you think really highly of yourself and everyone else really low. Okay, and it's not me saying that. Okay, these are scientists who've done studies and found this is the case. And so somebody who gets offended easily is somebody who places a really high value on who they are, what they think, and how everybody should interact with them. And that goes completely against this picture that we painted of the church of looking at one another and saying, how can I sacrifice? How can I make a difference? How can I be a blessing to somebody else? Because we're focusing on ourselves and not others. You see, love is the opposite of focusing on ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a great description of what love looks like, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. This is what it says. It says, If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. But we hear those words. We say, wow, that sounds really hard. And so we just skip that step and say, love is about me. And then when we get in that mentality, when we get in that place to conclude that love is about me, suddenly we have no room for another one of these one another's in our life, and that is something called forgiveness. I'm going to turn to the letter 
to the letter to the, to the Colossians, and then after that we're going to go to the book of Matthew. Um, Colossians was written by Paul to address some issues that the church in the city of Colossus had and they were struggling with, and it seems like one of the issues was unforgiveness because in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 of Colossians, Paul writes this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How'd the Lord forgive you? A little bit of the way? Some of the way? Part way? Or did he forgive everything? But you don't understand what that person did to me. As much as you did to a holy and righteous God? Probably not. Plus, you know what? There's a connection between our willingness to forgive somebody and our own forgiveness from God. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You can't mistake, you can't misunderstand what Jesus is communicating there. He is saying, look, if you have trouble forgiving someone for something they did to you, now, I I, want to put a framework on this because, you know, people can do some really horrible things to us. And sometimes forgiveness is a process and it's something we've got to work through and it's something we've got to continually ask for. I'm not trying to make it sound like this is something simple and easy. All you have to do is say, God, uh, I, I forgive them and it, there's, it's all going to be gone. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. It doesn't work like that, especially if the offense is big. But a lot of times for small offenses, We can't talk to the person. You know, for small offenses, we can't offer forgiveness when it's quite simple and quite easy to stop and say, you know what, I forgive them. But we have to understand there's a direct connection between who we are in Christ, if we are even a believer in Christ, and our ability to forgive. If we just say, I can't forgive people for the things they do to me, I would ask you, Where are you at in your walk with God? Because God said he cannot forgive you if you cannot forgive someone else. So we have to be able to forgive one another. I mean, think about it like this, okay? Uh, How many of us have had someone in our family tick us off? Okay, yeah, every hand should probably go up in the room unless you're living in a perfect family. Okay, yeah, I mean, in my household, you know, I've ticked Dana off, Dana's ticked me off. I've ticked my kids off, they've ticked me off. You know, we've all done things, even, even in the house that I was growing up in. I mean, we, I, I did all that I possibly could to tick my parents off. I was the, I was the wild child. I was the one who was always in trouble. And uh, so I did all I could to tick them off, plus my brothers and sisters. Man, I got into fist fights with my brother. Anybody else have brothers get into fist fights, or I'm the only one who got into fist fights with your brother? Okay. And then even at one point in time, my sister and I got into such a big fight that I grabbed a screwdriver 
chased her through the house and tried to stab her with it. Now, this, okay, so this is the picture, all right? So my parents are gone. Jenny and I are making dinner for our family while everybody else is out. We get into an argument. We start yelling, screaming, fighting. I grab the screwdriver. I, I chase her around the house with it. I finally get her in a corner, and I'm standing there like this with the screwdriver, and my parents walk in. So anyway, that always, but guess what? My sister and I get along great. She forgives me for that. And if any of you have been in that spot, you've been forgiven stuff like that too in your family, but when it comes to other people, we just don't have the same kind of grace and forgiveness that we have with our family. But this is our spiritual family. And it's just like our brothers and our sisters and our mom and our dad. And we should have that same sort of heart and that same sort of willingness to look at people and to forgive them for the things that they've done against us in the church. And when we can love and forgive one another, we go a long way to living out this list of one another's and we become a church that people, when they talk about it, will say, man, I love my church because I get love and I get forgiveness when I walk in the doors. Then the last component of loving your church is to be all about engaging in the mission and the purpose that Jesus has given the church. Our mission, I said it in the beginning, is connecting people to Christ. And that comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Go for there, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to do whatever we can to make disciples, that's our heart, that's our passion, that's our goal, but I have to make a point of clarification on this text, because many people, when they hear this idea of make disciples, they think, oh, we've got to have all of these classes going, and we should all be sitting in these classes, taking in more and more and more and more knowledge, and becoming more and more and more godlike. Yes, that's part of the process. But the discipleship process involves also reaching out to people and letting them know who Jesus is and letting them know that they can enter into a relationship with Jesus. You see, we are not a complete disciple. We are lacking and we are weak if that is not a part of who we are as a disciple of Jesus. That's why connecting people to Christ is core to what we do here at Fam Church because we want somebody who's far from God to be able to connect with us so that we can take them through this process of becoming who Jesus has called them to become. That's why we give out food on Wednesdays at the Mulberry Community Center. That's why we had a pancake breakfast yesterday morning was to connect people to Christ. It's why we do our monthly Adopt-A-Block so that we can do all that we can to find people who are far from God and connect them in with who God is. But we can't do that if we don't have any sort of relationship, if we don't have any sort of connection, if we don't have any sort of anything with people who are, who are, who are if we don't have that relationship with people who are far from God. We have to have those relationships with people. And then as we interact with them, we develop a love for them. When we develop a love for them, we become those one another's that we listed for them. When we become the one another's for them, they become the church and a disciple of Jesus. 
Greg, if you could come on back up. It's happening. We are doing these things. We are living out connection to Christ. We are seeing change and transformation in people's lives. I hear comments about how people are, about how this church, about how our people in this church are making a difference in other people's lives. I've been told about how this church is doing things that are different but needed in this community. And each of us have an opportunity to make a difference if we will allow God to do that. But in order for that to happen, we have to get past ourselves. In order for that to happen, we have to live out these one another's. In order for that to happen, we have to love one another. We have to forgive one another. In order for that to happen, we need to look at ourselves and say, you know what, that person sitting next to me, that person sitting in the row in front of me, that person sitting a section or two over from me, isn't just somebody who sits in this room with me on a Sunday morning, but they are part of my family. And when we get like that, when we love each other like that, when we forgive each other like that, when we're, when we're connecting people who are far from God to Jesus like that, we won't be able to stop this church and the words, man, I love my church, are going to be coming out of every corner, out of every spot, out of every place in our lives. And so the question for each of us this morning becomes, what are we going to do? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be someone who comes in the door and because so-and-so didn't say hi to you, are going to get offended? Are you going to be someone who comes in the door and says, well, I don't like the way the person standing at that connection desk is dressed today, and so I'm offended by that. Are we going to walk, or are we going to walk in these doors and say, you know what? That person is part of my family, and I love them. That person is part of my family, and I care for them. That person is part of my family, and because of that, I forgive them for any offense, any problem, any issue that comes up between us. Now, you know, issues and problems come up and we may have to sit down and talk and work through it and handle it in a way that Jesus has told us to handle it. But can we work through it? Can we offer each other forgiveness? And so the choice is each one of ours in the seat. We, can make, we have to make the decision. We have to make the decision to either follow Jesus, love each other, forgive each other, and go after this city the way God has asked us to, or we can just sit there and say, I don't want to make a difference. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be ticked off. The choice is yours, but to make a difference, the choice is clear. And so this morning, everyone just close your eyes and bow your heads. Just take a moment and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, is that who you are? Are you a family man? Are you a family woman where you look at those around you as family and you love and you forgive and 
and, and you just go for the mission that Jesus has given this church? Or are there other things sitting there? And if there's other things sitting there, man, you need to root those out. You need to pull those out. So just pray and ask God, God, take this from me. Help me to be the person who loves one another, each other. Help me to be the person who forgives those who are here and who goes and does the mission that you've called us. And then one more thing before we open our eyes, I just want to say there's something that Jesus wants all of those who are far from him to know this morning. He wants you to know that you are loved by him, but all humans have an issue. Because see, even though we are loved by God, we are separated from God because of our sinfulness. And the price of that sin that all of us have is death. However, God did not create us for separation and death. He created us so that we could be in relationship with him. In order to restore that relationship with God, he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin and die in our place. Jesus' death on the cross opened up the door to forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. All we have to do is ask for the forgiveness that he offers through Jesus and our sins are forgiven and our relationship with God is restored. And so if you are here this morning and you're saying, man, my relationship with God is broken and I want that restored, there's only one thing that you have to do. Ask him to restore it. You can do that right where you're at, in your seat. Just say, Jesus, restore my relationship with you. I'm broken, falling away from you, and I want that relationship with you. That's all you have to do. And God restores and repairs, and he comes in, and he rebuilds, and he gives you life and hope and peace and joy. And if you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, you know what, I need to do that, if you could just write that on one of those connection cards that came in your program that you accepted Jesus today and either leave it on your seat and drop it at Fam Connections, we just want to get you something in the mail. Heavenly Father, I pray for us, all of us, God. I pray that you would help us to be the church you are calling us to be, to live out these one another's that you are calling us to live. So that when people look in from the outside, even people far from God would look at this church and say, man, I love that church because those people love, they forgive, they care, and they make a difference in this, in this community. God, make us that church. Make us those people so that we can have the impact that you are calling us to have. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. God, I praise you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.